verse 1. And if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn there, or you can just follow along on the screen above me or behind me, these directions. Um, John chapter 20. And would you stand as I read God's Word? Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we praise you for this awesome day. Where we remember and we celebrate and we worship and we look ahead. Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts that are soft, that we might know your move and your touch. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, 
But Your Word will never pass away. So Lord, would You speak to us? God of heaven and earth, would You speak? Lord of glory, speak. Father, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I, have, I always get anxious before Easter. And I think part of it is this an indwelling perfectionism that I battle. Uh, that some of you I haven't seen in a year or more. Some of you I have never seen. Uh, or you have never seen me, maybe uh, at least in person. And I feel as though I have to come to this moment and set the ball on a tee and, and knock it out of the park in order for you to get where God wants you to go. And that's not true. That's not true. Um, what you need is not me. What you need is Jesus and His Spirit in His power taking His Word and planting it deep in your heart to bear fruit for His glory. And for some of you, this is, you have been walking with the Lord and you have been attending to the things of God for many years and you are encouraged on Easter. It is a, a revving up moment for, uh, for days and weeks ahead and I praise God for you. Some of you, this past year has been toilsome and difficult. It has bought, brought weight and burden, potentially loss, even from COVID or things that it has revealed, maybe with your work or with your family, or maybe just other things have attended this year that exacerbated your pain. And you're here today, and I want to tell you that there's hope. Some, you've walked with Christ. You may have made a profession of faith or even been baptized at some point in your life. And you walked away for however long. You haven't given, given much thought to Christ. And you might not even know why you're here or why you're listening now. And I want to say I praise God for you. For it is by appointment that you are here. And it's by appointment that you do hear this. That you are welcomed back to the Father's arms. And for others, you have never made that confession of faith. You've never known what it is to follow Jesus. And all of this sounds rather strange. As a family member once asked me, do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Like in his like bodily and he got up and I said with all my heart, absolutely. There, there's nothing I believe more. But it's a strange thing. It's a strange thing in our world that is dominated by a materialism and by a naturalistic view of things that only what we can see and hear and taste and touch is real. So we're told. Or perhaps you've met, been met with the rejoinder or it creeps up in the back of your head. People don't rise from the dead. Well, that's kind of the point. This doesn't happen all the time. Nobody's seen this before. And in fact, this is what makes Jesus unique. 
And if Jesus is unique, if Jesus is unique in the fact that he said he would die, he said he would be raised from the dead, and he in fact was raised from the dead, then at least you who hear this, it might sound strange, but potentially maybe you should pay attention. Because you can go find the graves of many of the religious leaders of the great religions of the world. And those tombs stand occupied. The little turn on the outsides clicked to red and said, occupied. (laughs) You go to the tomb in Jerusalem and it's green. It says vacant. So there's something we must pay attention to. The other thing, if this is you and you're, you're battling with skepticism of this world, of, of saying, this certainly this can't be true. I'm gonna, I don't have the time to lay it all out before you, but I'm going to make the statement that, if, that this, the empty tomb of Jesus Christ is among, just purely historically speaking, It is among the best historically attested events in the history of the world. And if if we cannot come to that conclusion that the tomb is actually empty via the means of history, if we can't arrive there, then we we cannot know history. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, profund, the, the amount of witnesses, the amount of transformation that happened in people that it shouldn't have happened in, the worldwide spread of this movement, all of these things point to, radiate from, He rose, really and truly. And something struck me last night, I was, the kids had gone to bed and Sarah Beth and I had one of those moments where it's like, you know, when you, when you have three kids, they're four and under, and you, you're, we're hosting people at our house today, and we, we have one of those moments where it's like calm, and it's quiet, and you, you immediately panic because you think there's something I'm not doing. <laughs> something needs to be done right here. Uh, but I, we, had, we, we enjoyed this five minutes of, of quiet. Uh, before we went and did something else. Like she had, I think she, we fold laundry, whatever else we had to do. And it struck me, I was reading through the resurrection accounts from the Gospels, the four Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I was reading Matthew's Gospel. And something struck me that I'd, I've read that 60 billion times. I mean, that might be an exaggeration. I've read that so many times in my life. But when Jesus was crucified, they put him in the tomb and they positioned guards at his tomb to make sure that nobody did any funny business. They didn't steal his body and they didn't rob the tomb or whatever else. Well, we know that the the guards failed because angels showed up and they were like dead men, it said. They They were freaking out. Stone is rolled away, there's a great earthquake, and these, these hardened soldiers guarding the tomb fall dead, basically, not literally. And they, when they finally get their breath under them, get their feet under them, they go into the city, some of them, and they tell the chief priests. They don't go to Pilate, they don't go to the Roman authorities because they, they would be severely punished for having let the tomb be empty. But they go to the chief priests and they tell them everything they saw. 
They saw the angel. They saw the empty tomb. They saw the the stone rolled away. They experienced the earthquake. All of these things together they experienced. And they go and tell the chief priests. They go and tell Annas and Caiaphas. And it just, I was overwhelmed by the reality that they knew. The high priests knew. And the thing, if you are well acquainted with this story and you are yet disbelieving, or you're well acquainted with this story and it has not yet changed your life, I want you to beware of the, the testimony of the high priests. They knew. They had received eyewitness testimony on multiple fronts, not only from their enemies, if you will, the disciples, but also from their allies, if you will, these guards. And yet these high priests continued to deny what they knew. And in fact, if you live in your unbelief today, you are perpetuating a rebellion against what you already know to be true. Not only has Christ risen, Christ has ascended and He sits at the right hand of God the Father, but that God is real and you must give an account to Him. Beware the testimony of the high priests because they don't let up. They do it at the end of Matthew's Gospel and it's the same guys at work at the beginning of Acts who are arresting Peter and John who are arresting them and they're flogging them and they're telling them not to preach in Jesus' name. That the fiercest persecution of the early church come from those who know. They know the tomb is empty. So it's not enough today. It's not enough for you to sign at the bottom of a historical record saying, sure, Jacob, maybe it is empty. Maybe it is empty. My goal in the next few minutes, few, how long can we stretch a few minutes? Is to show you why it matters. I'm not going to lay out all the historical stuff, but I'm going to show you in John chapter 20, and leading into a, a couple of stops, why this matters. Why the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead matters. It matters because there is no one like Him. There has never been anyone like Him, and there never will be again anyone like Him. And it matters because to Him is owed your faith and allegiance, worship and praise. Your, all of your life is due to Him, for He, in fact, is worthy. And perhaps that's the message you might glean from this this morning, is to quit wasting your life on the worthless and to begin pursuing He who is worthy. Mary Magdalene comes, and Mary Magdalene is one of Jesus' greatest followers. She is in in a group of women. They follow Jesus, and we learn elsewhere in Luke's Gospel that they actually bankroll uh, Jesus' ministry. I believe it's in Luke chapter 8. That might not be right. But they support Him and they support the disciples. And so Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb early while it's still dark. 
and saw that the stone had been rolled away, and she ran to tell the disciples. She knew something was wrong, but she did not believe yet that the Lord had risen. She believed that they had simply moved the body. She believed that the funny business had begun, and so she goes to tell Simon Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved. We know that as John, know him as John, who wrote wrote the gospel. He refers to himself throughout the gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved, um, not because he was arrogant or proud, but because he had a uh, he had this intimate relationship with Jesus, where he had a, a close. He was one of the the inside group nearest to Jesus, John. And in fact, it's the, the Apostle John who lives the longest of the original apostles. All of the other apostles are martyred because of their faith in Christ, because of their allegiance to Jesus. They die a martyr's death. But the Apostle John, they tried to kill him, but they couldn't kill him. So they exiled him and he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the book of Revelation, which by God's grace, we'll get there in a minute. So they have a foot race, Simon and Simon Peter and John. Who knew that athletics were in the Bible? And we, we learn quickly that John considers himself a better athlete. In fact, that he beat Simon Peter to the tomb. Um, but it's almost like he stopped at the finish line while Peter actually crossed the line. John stops, he looks in, he doesn't go in. Peter gets there, and Peter being Peter, lunges headfirst in. Sees it's empty. John enters in and he sees and he believes. And they leave. And then we go back to John. I mean, we go back to Mary in verse 11. And we have this wonderful picture of the Lord drawing Mary Magdalene to faith. Drawing her to Himself. And I want you to notice that at least twice in this passage that I have read... That it's Mary Magdalene who is a woman making the resurrection of Jesus known to the fellas. I offer that to you without comment. I just want you to notice that. That oftentimes, maybe I'll comment. Oftentimes, guys, we have to be goaded a little bit. Y'all don't know. Never mind. So she ran and told them, they ran and then they leave. And then Mary has this, she's weeping. She's left there alone. Can you picture the devastation? She hasn't come to faith yet. She's not, I mean, she's not, at least not comprehending what's happening in front of her. And her world has dissolved. She has this wonderful affection for the Lord Jesus. And there is a deep relationship that has been, to her eyes, destroyed. And she's left weeping. And as she's weeping there, angels come. And the angels and Jesus, they both ask her the same question. Woman, why are you weeping? It's almost like the psalmist in Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? There's almost a, a hint of, don't you realize what you're beholding? I feel like this often in my Christian life where for whatever circumstances might be in front of me, despondency, depression, or despair might grip my soul and I have to come to this moment of, why are you, why are you downcast? 
The psalmist goes on in Psalm 42 to say, Hope in God, I will yet praise Him. The resurrection of Jesus matters because it turns our weeping, which is real and actual and sometimes lifelong, and turns it into joy. The psalmist again in Psalm 30 says, Weeping may last the night, but joy comes in the morning. And Christian, the resurrection of Jesus is your eternal morning. Jesus comes to her after the, her interaction with the angels. And she turns around, she sees him, but she doesn't recognize him. And this is a theme in Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. After his resurrection, he appears to people and they're not quite sure or they have absolutely no idea that it's Jesus. Here you have Mary Magdalene scratching her head thinking he's the gardener. It happens to, in Luke chapter 24, on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas and the other disciple, and they, don't, they have no idea who Jesus is until He makes Himself known to them by breaking of the bread and reveals, them to, reveals Himself to them over a meal. But Jesus comes and meets her, says, Why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? She believes Him to be the gardener. He says, If you've carried Him away, just show me the way. She hasn't yet got it. She's seen the empty tomb. She knows the testimony of the yawning grave. And yet she hasn't quite gotten it. In a different way than the high priests didn't quite get it. And Jesus says her name and... Her eyes are opened and she pronounces him Rabboni, which means teacher. It means, means my teacher. My rabbi. It's interesting and, and I think it's an illusion or a picture. It's an illustrative moment at least. That Jesus is reckoned to be the gardener. Where else, where else do we see Gardens. Say that again. Gethsemane. Garden of Eden. Excellent, excellent. He's in a garden now. The garden tomb. Did something go wrong in the Garden of Eden? Alright, the devil came in. What else happened? Sin. Who sinned? Eve and Adam. And if you will, Adam and Eve are the first gardeners. Adam particularly. The Bible says that God made him, placed him in the Garden of Eden to care for it and to cultivate it. That Adam is this agrarian priest. He takes care of the garden temple of the Garden of Eden. And because of his disobedience and rebellion, paradise ruptures and Adam and Eve and all of their descendants, including us, are cast out from the perfect dwelling place of God. And ever since then, the Bible is about God getting us back there. And to get us back there, 
Or better said, to get us where we want to go, remember this a few weeks ago, into the dwelling place of God, we had to go through a couple gardens. We had to go through Gethsemane where Jesus yielded Himself to the will of His Father, saying, not my will but Yours be done. If there's any other way, Lord, Father, if there's any other way, let's do that. I'd rather not die an excruciating, humiliating, shameful death but if that's the way, that's the way. Why should we be held responsible? Can we talk about it afterwards? Yes, okay, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. So Jesus yields his life in the Garden of Gethsemane. It leads him to the cross of Calvary, where he dies in the place of those who have sinned themselves. And he rose in the garden. He makes a way for us to God in the garden. He makes a way for us in the garden. This moment in the garden with Mary Magdalene where he makes himself known to her. It is both looking backward at the rupture of the Garden of Eden, the great failure of our first parents, and it looks forward to the garden of the new Jerusalem, which is the great success of the new Adam, Jesus Christ. It's a new city. But in Revelation chapter 22, at the beginning of it, the first couple of verses, the city is likened to a garden. There is a river running through it, and the tree of life stretches over both sides of the river. It is very, very garden-like, and it's a picture of welcoming into the presence of God. So Jesus comes as the gardener to restore to restore His lost people to fellowship with God. Jesus' resurrection matters because Jesus died and rose to bring us back to God. And there is no other way back to God. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. So he says, don't cling to me after she realizes and she begins to celebrate. He says, don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended. Go and tell my brothers. And he's referring to the apostles. Go and tell them I go to my father and your father. To my God and your God. Jesus' resurrection matters because in Jesus' resurrection, we are now adopted into the family of God. Did you see that? My Father, that's straightforward from the Gospels, and your Father. That because of what Christ does, because of what Jesus does, He takes away our sin, it is laid upon Him at the cross, and now for whoever trusts in Him in His death and resurrection, we receive righteousness. That means we are right with God and we receive new life. New life. And being made new, we are made to come to God as His sons and daughters. The Apostle Paul talks about it this way, both in the book of Romans and in the book of Galatians, that we have been given the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That we have a new life working within us because of the Spirit's activity. 
We begin to see that the resurrection isn't just this great historical event, which it is. But it is the means by which God brings us back to Himself as a part of His family. He doesn't bring you back to Him as simply a servant or a slave as an underling, but He brings you back adored and beloved in Jesus. Later on in that same chapter, in Romans chapter 8, after He says we've been given the Spirit by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Later on, it, later on, we are described as heirs and co-heirs with Jesus. That we have the same inheritance as Christ does. So Mary Magdalene goes again, dutifully, faithfully, and announces. I love that verb in verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that He had said these things to her. She comes with news of the event, but also the news of Jesus' very word. And then there's a lull until the evening. Verse 19. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so this is the same day, Sunday evening, Easter, the first Easter Sunday night, the disciples, they have, remember, some of them have seen the empty tomb. Some of them have even believed, John tells us, that he saw and believed. They've all received the testimony of Mary. So they've received the testimony of Peter and John that the tomb's empty. They've received the testimony of Mary Magdalene that Jesus spoke to her and said, said these things, He said these words. And what are they doing? They're cowering behind locked doors. They've received the word and they have not yet gotten it. Dramatic effect. You like that? They haven't, they haven't comprehended it. So because of fear of the Jews, and this is referring mainly to the fear of the Jewish religious leaders, the same who had crucified Jesus. And Jesus now, resurrected body and all, comes and stands amid the, in, in the room with them. He doesn't use the door. And yet He is alive says, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad. That's an understatement, right? They were glad when they saw the Lord. What would you do? Jesus just popped up in here. And he said to them, peace be with you. So twice he is bringing peace. Jesus' death and resurrection matter because He gives us peace with God. Without Christ's blood shed and His new life given, we are not yet, we are not at peace with God. If we are not in Jesus, by grace through faith, we are not at peace with God, despite what you might feel. It's only through Christ. Paul says in Ephesians that he, he Himself, Jesus Himself, is our peace. He says, peace, peace be with you as the Father has sent Me, even so I am sending you. Jesus' resurrection matters. 
matters because He now sends His people out as He forges a new world. He sends His people out as He forges a new world. Let me illustrate this and, and I'll tidy up. In Colossians chapter 1, as the text I almost preached on today, as part of our Bible reading plan as well. But let me read this. It's, a, it's probably a hymn or a poem in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His Christ. Cross, there's that word peace again. But what I want you to see is that He's the... There's a lot going on here. A lot of awesomeness just drips in these words. But what I want you to see is that He's the firstborn from the dead. If He's the firstborn from the dead, what does that imply? That there's going to be others born from the dead, if you will. That Jesus comes out of the tomb, the very beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. He comes out as a testimony that death has had its day. Satan will not rule forever. And that all those who follow in behind Christ, they themselves will be part of this new world. Part of the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem where there is no more darkness or sin or sorrow, no more tears. That it is Jesus who is forging a new world. And right now, His resurrection matters because we have the truth that in Christ will set people free. You remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The new creation has been born in you, Christian, by the work of God's Spirit as you have come to believe in Jesus and His resurrection, as you have been transformed, you have been made new, and you are, are again the beginnings. We are the beginnings of a new world. And Jesus is collecting for Himself a people, and one day the transformation that has been accomplished in us by grace, through faith, through the movement of His Spirit, leading us to Himself, will be subjected. That power of transformation will bring about a new heavens and a new earth. Like for real. So that when you think about heaven, you don't need to think about cupids with harps on clouds. You need to think about streets. Tangible things, real world, in all of its glory as it ought to be. He sends us out as the Father sent Him. And the, what we are sent out with is the message that Christ has risen and Christ rules. And this is how you can know Him. Trust in Him. 
at the end of, and I don't want to get off going on here, but at the end of Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches this Pentecost sermon and they're cut to the heart, those who heard him. And they said, what shall we do to be saved? And he says, repent and believe. What do you do with this message today? How do you ingest the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You repent. You leave off the dead ways of sin and death that you're pursuing. Quit chasing the worthless. Quit living for yourself and live for the glory of God. Trust in Him and recognize that you don't come to Him because you're so great. You don't come to Him because of your own ability. He doesn't ask you to come with all of your good deeds and all of your good works. He says, come and I will make you new. Don't try to tidy up your life and your shop before Jesus comes in. Hand the broom over. Give Him the hammer and the nails and let Him rebuild your broken life. For we look to the day I've already alluded to it, but I wanted to read it. And I want you to see Jesus' resurrection matters. Jesus' resurrection matters because He is the very beginning of what we all long for. Revelation 21, verse 1. And John, same author. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus' resurrection matters because in rising from the dead, he has killed death for all who trust in him so would you trust in him christian would you be revived and renewed in following jesus recommitting your life to follow him to trust him to be obedient to him for those of you who do not know him would you consider for a moment the great love of god that has been demonstrated that while we were sinners Christ died for us so that whoever calls out to Him, whoever trusts in Him, will not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, we praise You for Your Word and for Your truth. We ask that Your Spirit would sweep over our hearts now. Your Spirit would come and give power transformation you would foster repentance and faith that you would strengthen those who are drooping and weakened in this season 
that they would be spiritually revived and look to Jesus. Pray for those who don't know you, who have not yet come to know you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in their heart right now. They would see two things. One, the depth of their own sin. But greater than that, they would see the depth and the greatness of your love. And the extension, the offer to them of new life today. Lord, we trust you. We look to you. We worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.